June 2005, uh, the BBC News reported, uh, they reported that a Turkish newspaper uh, reported this headline, shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff. I don't, I'm not a shepherd, but watched the sheep fall, fall over a cliff doesn't seem like, I don't know, seems like someone got fired that day. Um, first, they reported this. First, one sheep went over the cliff only to be followed by the whole flock. One sheep goes over and they're all like, hey, that's, that, I guess he's making a good choice in life today. Um, 400 plus sheep died in a 15 meter fall. And this is amazing. The bodies of those 400 cushioned the fall of the 1,100 to follow who survived. So, hey, sometimes you got to make a sacrifice, you know? Um, the shepherds that day lost about 52 grand in invaluable sheep. Now, if you look for stories like this, they're, they're plethora. The LA Times reported, uh, this was uh, back in 1987, nearly 200 sheep from a flock of 1,000 fell 200 feet to their deaths when chased by two dogs. Two random dogs showed up and spooked them, and so they all just said, hey, that cliff looks like a better end to our days. Uh, Linda Gordon of the Animal Regulations Department, uh, she described sheep this way, and this was, just, this was just beautiful, I felt. Sheep are very high-strung, nervous animals. Anything that frightens one will frighten them all. It's a chain reaction, and this is awesome. This is awesome how she describes them, and as far as the animals go, as far as the sheep go, they are not high in intelligence. That's a great way, that's a great way to say they're stupid, right? Now, I don't know, it sounds like she's afraid of maybe like offending the sheep. I feel like that's, that's like a parent-teacher conference way of talking, right? <laughs> not high in intelligence, but it's like just say dumb. They're sheep, they don't understand English, and a lot of them are dead because they're <laughs> jumping off cliffs, right? So sheep are unremarkable. Sheep are unremarkable. What do we do with sheep? You, you don't have a single memory of going to a zoo, right, and showing up in an exhibit and being like, guys, we're at the sheep exhibit, right? No, we put sheep in pens, and then we look at our two-year-olds, and we're like, you should get in the cage with them and pet them, right? They're unremarkable. They're not intimidating. They're not smart. You know, when the rodeo rolls into town, we have all these sheep, and we're like, what do we do with these sheep? You know, we're like, hey, Let's put a helmet on the five-year-olds and then put them on the backs of the sheep and then make them ride them. It'll be hilarious, right? We don't do that with any other animal, right? Not birds, not snakes, not lions, nothing. Uh, sheep are just unremarkable uh, animals. But here's the interesting thing. Here's why I say this. If you look at the artwork uh, that depicts Psalm 23, famous psalm, most of us probably have an idea of what Psalm 23 is about. If you look at the artwork, most of it is pictures of sheep. Most of it is, it's, it's all paintings of sheep. Uh, it's, it's like a beautiful sheep, you know, portrait uh, of the face, or it's maybe a flock of sheep. And if it's not sheep, it's like a green meadow, you know, with mountains in the background. It's like Estes Park or something like that. Um, that's, that's typically what the artwork uh, depicts Psalm 23 about. But if you listen to Psalm 23 this morning, if you really listen to it, you're going to realize, and I'm going to realize even more, that it's not ultimately about sheep, because they're unremarkable. And it's not ultimately about green pastures either, or still waters, though, though those are 
important aspects. And you only have to read, you only have to read the first verse to know and start getting a hint and an idea of what Psalm 23 is all about. Okay, so please stand for the hearing of God's word. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. All right, pray with me. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would act and move among us by your word and by speaking through Psalm 23. You give us great comfort, hope, and encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is Psalm 23 all about? What is Psalm 23 all about? It's right there in verse 1. It's about, it's about a shepherd, not sheep, not where the sheep graze. It's about a shepherd. You see it right there in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The, the focus is on my God, our God is is a shepherd. Uh, to, to say that the Lord is my shepherd, to give him that name, is reaching back all the way to Genesis 49. It's one of the earliest uh, ways that, that God would describe himself. When you look at a shepherd, you're looking at a good picture of what I am like and what I do. That, that's the focus, okay? Just to, just to set us out uh, on the right foot as we look at this. So here's what I want to know this morning. For the rest of our time, this is what I want to know. Uh, what does the shepherd do? What does the Lord, what does God do for us and in our lives that makes sense to say, yeah, he's like a shepherd? What, what does a shepherd do? What does God do that, that connects those two things? That's what I want to know. So here, here we go. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So, so there it is, right? There's the famous picture. There's the, there's the life we all want, right? Um, I was in uh, Estes Park with the, with the youth group a couple weeks ago. And in Estes Park, if you've ever been to Estes Park or really, I guess, just all of Colorado, um, we're, we're sitting there. They've got this huge field of just this luscious green grass, and it is soft, and the weather is perfect. It is cool. The grass is cool, and the mountains are in the background. There's a river not far by that you don't have to walk very far to start hearing uh, the river, and it's just this perfect, serene setting, and that's, that's when we read this, uh, we think, man, that, that's what I want, right, and that's why we paint pictures. That's why when we say, hey, paint a picture of Psalm 23, we're like, yeah, green grass, you know, still still waters. Uh, David is writing this, and David has his needs met in life as he writes this. So um, it makes sense for David to be saying, 
yeah, you, you bring me to green pastures. You bring me to still waters. He's got his creaturely needs met, but as you notice, he said, you restore my soul. So David says, yeah, you, you know how to provide for me in a creaturely, earthly way, t- providing for me in, in, in all of my earthly needs. You know how to do that better than I. But, but he reaches down deeper into who I am, and, and he's saying, you restore my soul. You, you give me life. You give me life. It's not just that my earthly needs are met, but, but I'm dead inside. No, no, no. You're giving me life abundant in every way possible. You have life, and you know how to give life, um, and that's what you are doing for me. But notice this. The emphasis is unmistakable. The emphasis of Psalm 23 is on who is providing. That's why he repeats it again and again and again, doesn't he? He makes me lie down. He leads me. He provides for me. He brings me to the still waters, right? The emphasis is on, again, the shepherd because sheep don't provide for themselves, right? If you let a sheep go, say, go find food, they're probably going to cushion the fall for the rest of the flock, right? Sheep don't provide for themselves. They don't know where the green grass is. They don't know where the still waters are. If they look at a raging river, they, they might either try to cross it thinking maybe they're strong enough and get swept away, or maybe run away into the darkness. They, they just don't know. They need, they need a shepherd. A sheep is only going to be provided for if it has a shepherd who cares enough to, to provide for it. Now here, I, I think, is the key to understanding this. All of this comes at the expense of the shepherd. So shepherding at the time was very serious, demanding work, okay? When you, when you went applying for jobs, shepherding was not at the top of the list. It was a difficult, demanding, long hours, lonely hours kind of job. That's why it was usually the last son, the youngest, uh, the runt, who was the shepherd, like David, right? The young one that, that kind of, you know, right, like kid two, you're still kind of paying attention to kid three and four. You're like, yeah, go ahead, just eat the bugs. It's not a big deal, uh, right? And then you get to David, and you're like, you'll be the shepherd, right? Because no one else wants to. Um, shepherds had to be prepared to be away uh, from home for days or weeks at a time, especially in the summer months when they were chasing rain, they were chasing water for their flocks. And so it wasn't like they walked out of their cool farmhouse after eating eggs and having their coffee, and then they shepherded and they came home at five. No, no, they had to pack enough and bring supplies to be away for days and weeks at a time, build themselves temporary shelters to sleep in. Um, this, was, this was the life of the shepherd. They were lonely, so they would, they would talk to their sheep. They would name each, each sheep, and they would talk to them so that the sheep could learn their voice make shepherding easier. They'd have to count each sheep uh, every morning and every night, right? And, and imagine, I mean, we just talked about flocks of a thousand sheep. They'd have to count them to make sure no, no, no one got in the pen at night and took away, you know, like Bill uh, or Joe in the middle of the night. Um, they'd have to make sure they're all accounted for at the end of the day after a really long day. They'd have to sometimes build a temporary fold for the sheep um, and then the door of the fold, sometimes they'd have to use their own body to guard it to make sure no, no predators uh, got in. It was commonly understood that a shepherd might not return home from sheep tending. Okay, So to make a sheep lie down in green pastures and to bring a sheep and a flock to still waters was at the expense of the shepherd. Uh, a good shepherd provides for his weak 
and frail and helpless sheep. A good shepherd provides. And a good shepherd provides risking his life to do it. Willing to lay down his life to do it if he has to fight off a bear, right? If the elements just get to him and take his life and he doesn't come home. That's what a good shepherd does. And what do the sheep do? The sheep just rest and rely on the shepherd. They just rest in the shepherd. They rely on the shepherd to do his job and to lead them and to provide everything for them. Now, in case you think that the beginning of this psalm, green pastures, I know you might be thinking, this doesn't describe my life. I'm sorry, but green pastures and still waters just doesn't describe my chaotic world right now. In case you think that, that Psalm 23 is painting this unrealistic picture of Christianity, uh, we get verse 4, what Coolio in his song called a gangster's paradise, if you're familiar. Verse 4 gives us this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Very different picture, suddenly. You got green grass, you got still waters, everything's beautiful, everything's wonderful, And then all of a sudden, David says, even though I walk in darkness, even though the shadow of death is being cast over me. Uh, When I was in in Colorado with the youth, again, in Estes Park, one night I took the seniors out, and I think a couple of juniors, uh, to try to do something unique and fun with them and memorable. Um, I don't think what we did was memorable, but... uh, we went out, and we were trying to find a place by the river to just sit and talk. This is at night, and um, it was a real rager. Uh, myself and another student got a Diet Coke from the vending machine, and we went out to talk. Um, and we're, we're all, it's like, I don't know, I don't know, it's like eight of us or something. We're all trying to find, I'm not really paying attention, I'm just kind of enjoying it, walking around. But I think they're looking for like a place to sit by the river, and one guy's like, yeah, yeah, I know this place to sit by the river, um, but it's pitch dark. Like, you can't see without your flashlight um, or your, your phone. You can't see what you're stepping on. You can't see really where you're going. You can hear the raging river um, in the background, but it, that, you just can't really see anything. And so it, they're just, like, all confused and leading us into nowhere like a bunch of sheep. And they can't find where they're going. And then all of a sudden it turns out that they're like, I think I'm thinking of a different place. And it was just, it was nuts. Um, so we're, like, walking in circles. Well, I have this genius idea that I'm just going to try to terrify these guys. And so I'm kind of walking in the back of the pack. And as a side note, this is the second time I've done this in the state of Colorado, okay? Um, There's another story we don't have time for. But uh, I'm walking in the back, and I just start picking up rocks and chunking them into the the dark forest to our left because I kind of want to start making some sounds, right? So I throw a stone, and I I can hear it, but no one else really hears it. And then I throw another one, and then I, I finally start getting what I want. You know, which is like two of the guys are like, whoa, dude, did you hear that? The other guy's like, no, dude, it's fine. So I'm just strategically throwing these rocks just constantly, like having the time of my life. And uh, at one point, I don't know if the guy made it up, but at one point he was like, dude, dude, I'm telling you, I see two people in the woods. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it's like so dark. You can just barely make out the trees. You know, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, I see people. I think how creepy that would be, right? Um, so I'm just throwing stones, right? And then I get this other, this other student involved, and we're back there throwing rocks. And, um, and, and again, it's like, oh, there's people. You know, and finally, at one point, I think we made it out kind of back to the light. And I was like, I was like guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I think I saw those people. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, 
It was amazing. But uh, the point was, my point was, the guys aren't afraid of the dark. No one's afraid of the dark, right? No one's afraid of the dark. Uh, we're afraid of what's in the dark, right? We're afraid of what could be lurking in the dark that we can't see and we can't protect ourselves from. And, and if it's coming after us, we can't even see it to run away. So I'm trying to make them think there's something in the dark. And apparently it worked because apparently there were two people following us, right? We're not afraid of the dark. We're afraid of what's in the dark. You can imagine a flock of sheep walking through a valley and all of a sudden it's dark and these skittish, nervous animals who live on the edge of fear constantly are thinking, I don't know what's lurking in the dark, right? Um, that's, that, that's the picture that we get here, the, the older I get, I'm only 30, but the older I get, um, the more I realize that, that what is scary in life is oftentimes just knowing that there are things I don't know. Like a lot of times I'm not necessarily scared of something concrete. I'm not necessarily worried of something that's concrete happening, like an actual tragedy. I'm just afraid that a tragedy is lurking in the dark somewhere. Uh, the scary things in life, the older I've gotten, are, are realizing I don't have as much control as I thought, right? I, I don't control life. There's a darkness and a mystery to life, and I don't necessarily know what's in it. I don't know what's coming, but it scares me, and it worries me, and it stresses me out, right? Um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know what's in the shadow. I'm just afraid of what could be in in the shadow. Psalm 23 is saying this, a good shepherd doesn't let his sheep wander in darkness alone. Notice this, when you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, it's not that the shepherd said, hey guys, go that way, and I'm going to take a nap. No, 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 the sheep are in the darkness with the shepherd. The shepherd, for whatever reason, knows this is the right path to go to take care of you. We have to walk through we have to walk through the darkness. And so the shepherd is there leading them through it, which means the sheep can say this, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? You should fear. You should be afraid. You're a sheep, right? Like a strong bird might take you down, you know? But I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's your rod and it's your staff. They comfort me. It's the ability of the shepherd that makes the sheep feel safe. Nothing in the sheep. No, no ability in the sheep, nothing in the sheep, just that the shepherd is with me. I mean, you can imagine walking through darkness, and you're a sheep, and you're terrified. You're terrified. It's the shadow of death. And then you, you start to hear something, and you notice the shepherd's like whistling, right? He's walking through darkness. He's like, just whistling, and he's kind of smiling. You're like, dude, we're in darkness right now. We're about to die. And he's like, no, we're not. I got this. I got you. I know what I'm doing. Imagine the comfort that that brings. Oh, I, I guess I have nothing to fear. If he has nothing to fear, if he's not afraid, if he has the situation under control, then okay, I'll just stick with him. I'll just follow him and he will protect me. The good shepherd, a good shepherd provides for his sheep and protects his weak, helpless, frail sheep. He protects them to such a de degree that not a hair of their head can fall to the ground without his approval and without him knowing. That's what a good shepherd does, and he risks his life to do it. He risks his life to do it. That's what he does. The sheep just rest in him. Sheep just rely on him and his ability to provide and his ability 
to protect. Now, the psalm could stop here, and it'd be really good news for us as God's sheep. It could stop here, but it doesn't. It gets better. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, this picture is fascinating. Some people debate if the imagery has totally changed from shepherd and sheep to host and guest, or if the shepherding imagery is kind of still at play. Uh, But either way, notice the, the continual acknowledgement of darkness and difficulty with the enemies. It's not you prepare a table before me and it's a feast and it's wonderful. No, no, it's you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this could be the picture of enemies being conquered, tied up. They can't move. They can't do anything. And you are the victor because your shepherd, your host is the victor and he's conquered your enemies. And so now it's time to feast. Or it could just be the picture that maybe the enemies are loose, but they can't touch you. They can't touch you as you feast because the shepherd, the host, is keeping them at bay. And notice that you're not just provided for. It's not just enough, right, for survival and health. You're not just protected from the enemies, but it's utter abundance. You are welcomed as this valued guest being anointed, and then your cup is overflowing. It's just utter abundance that is being provided for you. And, and this, is, this is the thing I think perhaps most amazing about this picture, is that you're not hosting. You're not hosting this feast. I'm not the host. I'm sitting down being served. I mean, how much of Christianity do we think is about all that I can do for God and all that I can give for God? And, and we think, if anything... I'm going to prepare the table for him, right? And I will wait on him, and I will serve him. And yet Psalm 23 is giving us this image where, let's just cut to the chase, he is serving us. Why? Because, well, what do you have to give to God that he doesn't have? What what could you give to him that he doesn't already have and he doesn't already own? But how much do you need from him? everything, everything. You need all provision. You need all protection. He has everything. You and I have nothing. So he prepares the table. If anyone's going to prepare the table, it's him. He's going to prepare it, and he's going to provide, and he's going to serve you, and that's where he's going to be glorified. Uh, He is glorified when he stoops down to us, and he shows himself off as the giver of all good gifts owning and having everything, and then giving it out uh, to people like you and me. So a good shepherd provides for his sheep, a good shepherd protects his sheep, and a good shepherd goes above and beyond for weak, helpless, frail sheep. And he does all of this risking his life to do it, risking life and limb for the sheep. And what do the sheep do? The sheep just rest in him. The sheep just rely. They didn't help prepare the meal. They didn't find the meal. No, the table was set for them. They were invited in. They were welcomed, and they were, they were served. They were led to green pastures and still waters. They were led through a valley of the shadow of death for a good reason. Maybe they don't know yet, but they were led through it, and they were protected through it the entire time because that's what a good shepherd does. Sheep are unremarkable people, but what's remarkable What's remar- 
unremarkable animals correction, but what's remarkable is that a good shepherd is willing to die for them. Good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for unremarkable animals. In our sin, we are unremarkable people. Yes, made in the image of God, but in our sin, unremarkable. No reason in us, no reason in us that, that, that the God of all heaven and earth would stoop down to us to be our shepherd. And yet that's exactly what he does. And he doesn't just risk, doesn't just risk life and limb to do it. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life to the end for you. The good shepherd, the good shepherd uh, goes after his sheep with his goodness and his mercy. He goes after them. We've all wandered like sheep. We've gone astray. We've all wandered away from the fold of God. No reason that the shepherd should come after us, and that's exactly what he did with all of his goodness, with all of his mercy, with all of his love, with all of his grace, he chased us down, he came after us, he pursued us, and he found us, and he brought us back home. The Lord saw you ravaged by sin and death, and he stooped down, and he became a sheep. The Son of God took on flesh, lived a perfect life like a perfect sheep, obeying the voice of the Father perfectly, always listening to the voice of the Father, always doing what the Father said. And then his whole life, he has this uh, shadow of death being cast over him, knowing exactly where he's going, knowing exactly where he's headed. And then he willingly stepped into the darkness of death for you, and for me. And Isaiah 53 says that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter for you and me. To take the judgment we deserve, the condemnation that we deserve, and he defeated our greatest enemies of sin and death. He provides for our greatest needs, reconciling us to the shepherd. So that we can pray Psalm 23, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. He is always been good to me. He will always be good to me, and he has prepared a table for me to feast at. Literally, when we take uh, the Lord's Supper communion every Sunday, we are, what are we doing? We're being served, aren't we? We're feasting at the Lord's table as he serves us grace and mercy as our good shepherd.